0: hi i'm david
1: and i'm maddie
0: and you're listening to legend logic Good, excited for what you're gonna talk about because you're so deeply passionate about the subject.
1: Yeah. Today we're continuing our topic of items made from humans and this is episode two and we're going to talk about books bound in human skin. <laughs> Probably my favorite topic on the face of the earth. Don't judge me.
0: No, I, go know,
1: read Dark Archives by Megan Rosenbloom and then you come back and you look me in the eyes and tell me that you don't want to have an eight-hour conversation about
0: it. I feel like I will not be as passionate mm, about it as you are.
1: I don't believe you. I think that you would become obsessed with it much like me. A lot of research that I did for this episode comes from Megan's book. So she is a librarian who spent years investigating science and history of books bound in human skin. So if you want to become a fangirl like me, I will put the link to purchasing her book on Amazon in the show notes. 10 out of 10 recommend in dark archives megan discusses so many different perspectives and ideas and legends and possibilities surrounding anthropodermic books
0: anthropodermic
1: that's the science way of saying human skin books anthropodermic
0: i didn't know there was a word for that it
1: is there is that's it but today i'm only going to discuss one of the legends that she brings up in her book and i want to preface it by saying she has not had permission to test this specific alleged anthropodermic book so it is still just legend lore and the human spirit wanting to believe
0: that it's true and we love that
1: (laughs) Yeah, so either way, whether you believe that this specific book is genuine or not, um when it comes to being bound in human skin, Megan and her team have identified at least 16 books in the world that have been confirmed to be bound in human skin. It's
0: more than I would have thought.
1: I know. So maybe someday our podcast will be big enough that we can have Megan on as a guest.
0: That would be wild.
1: And she'll tell us about her process and her journey because it's so interesting like the science, uh, you know me, I'm not really into science. The mm. process by which they study these books or, like, test them. So cool. Hmm. So cool, dude. And I just, honestly, though, if we had her on the show, like interviewing her, you'd have to do it because I would just be dying.
0: <laughs> be fangirling too I'd hard. Be
1: fangirling too hard. TBH, yeah. <clears throat> so, before we start, I wanted to play a fun game called uh, Which US State is the Weirdest? Okay. Um, many of the 16 books that they have confirmed to be bound in human skin are in the United States, mm-hmm. of course, because right. sure. Yeah. If you were going to guess which states had anthropodermic books, which ones would you call out?
0: Interesting question.
1: Some of these surprised me, but maybe they won't surprise you. Like maybe it makes total sense to you. That's all.
0: I mean, my brain initially goes to like the like deserty states. So like New Mexico is my first guess. Okay. Yeah. And then like Arizona.
1: Interesting. Are you just thinking it's cowboy and Indian type, like western this town ain't big enough for the two of us kind of vibe? Or mm-hmm. is it, what is it about deserts?
0: I don't know, there're just a lot of like really strange legends and stuff out there that usually have to do with Native American history and culture. Sure. Not not that that has anything to do with yeah, it book things bound in human skin, but when I think of
1: strange artifacts
0: strange artifacts strange legends usually that i haven't heard about before i feel like they tend to be in that genre of things okay so that's my guess
1: gotcha so i will give you the top four slots okay coming Mm -hmm. in hot at number four it's a tie each of these states has one book bound in human skin we got california and new york okay number three that's another tie both of these states have two books massachusetts and ohio hmm which I guess I shouldn't be surprised because, like, Massachusetts is, you know, one of the first states.
0: Right, yeah, that's true.
1: Coming in in spot number two with four human skin books is Rhode Island.
0: Wow, well, just a small state for that many books. Yeah,
1: for real, for sure. Hmm. Coming in at number one... Please tell
0: me, I haven't done the math so far, but tell me it's, like, far and away number one.
1: They have six books.
0: Okay, so, so not, far not far and away. Not but... far and
1: away, but they have more than most, yeah. Mm-hmm. Coming in in the number one spot is pennsylvania why interesting why pennsylvania i don't know i I don't
0: know i wouldn't have guessed that one now
1: because one university is like really weird
0: that makes sense wait which university
1: um my book is my book's out there on the shelf i would have to go get it it's a it's literally like a a school of physician oh, practices okay, or something so like not, that. It's like not It's not like a, a major school. university. No, it's not a major university. Gotcha. But Rhode Island, the reason that they have four is because of Brown University. Hmm. So it's very interesting um, where these
0: books are. Indeed.
1: Today I am warping in some true crime. And I'm going to tell you the legend of the Red Barn murder and how it ended in an anthropodermic book. Our story begins in 1827 with maria martin maria was the daughter of thomas martin who was a mole catcher yes that was a career and or trade of the day like an exterminator who specializes in moles mole catcher but maria also had a stepmother named Anne that lived in their home as well maria was very beautiful but she didn't make the best choices of her day Maria already had an illegitimate child and just recently had a second illegitimate child who unfortunately died uh, shortly after its birth. And, you know, I'm not judging, girl. Like, do what you want to do. I say she didn't make the best choices of her day because having babies out of wedlock in 1820s England was, like, actually against the law.
0: Oh, okay.
1: Yeah, like, genuinely Mm -hmm. on the books. The identity of her first child's father has been lost as far as my historical research could find. But her second child was the result of her relationship with a man named William Quarter. William Quarter was the son of a wealthy farmer a couple years younger than Maria. And William must have been some kind of, like, smooth-talking dude because he's, like, about to talk his way through, like, the next couple of years and then some. But, like, also, he's super ugly, according to Ooh. the sketches I saw. So he's like, got
0: some of that riz. He must... <laughs> Some of that no, good Riz. For
1: real. I saw him and I was just like, you have to have something because there's absolutely no way you got this gal with those massive facial features. All of his facial features are okay, so like when a guy has like a cute like chin dimple, uh-huh. like that's that's charming, that's adorable. This man had a whole chin butt on his face. Like legit, I was looking at his picture, like, here comes the crimson chin, like <laughs> It was bad. I was looking for Clef the boy chin wonder. Like, that's where we're at. He's hideous.
0: Solid butt chin. Got it.
1: Solid butt chin. So I'm very confused as to how he pulled off this gal, bro, but, you know, whatever. So one day, William comes to the Martins' home and tells them that the constable has discovered that Maria and William had an illegitimate child and that he was on his way to arrest Maria. He specifically said, arrest Maria, Mm. but it would be arresting them both, but... Okay. Either way, you get it. Sure. Um, but don't worry. Good old William had a plan, and he suggested that he and Maria ditch the popo, uh, retreat a couple towns over, get and get married in their courthouse, and then come back home. And then when the constable showed up, they'd be like, sir, like, what are you talking about?
0: We're already married. We're already married,
1: sir. Yes. So as they prepare for this journey, Maria disguises herself in men's clothing to avoid being detected by the constable. But for some reason, she leaves on her feminine green scarf and her earrings and the decorative combs in her hair as though that's casual for an 1820s man. There's no logic given there. It Maybe just... a
0: fashionable 1820s man.
1: I don't judge. I don't <laughs> judge a man who wants to wear decorative combs in his hair. I'm for it. So once they were ready to go, Maria's stepmother Anne sees them off and they walked towards the red barn where William had arranged for a carriage to pick them up and take them to get married. Little did she know, Maria would never leave that red barn again. When Maria was suddenly out of town, William started to keep up this ruse or attempt to keep up this ruse that they had, like, created a home elsewhere, Mm -hmm. and she just, like, wasn't in town anymore. So the neighbors took notice of her long absence, and they started asking William, you know, if she was nearby, when she'd be home, how she was, and William seemed to always have some kind of answer so mrs stowe a neighbor who lived closest to the red barn asked william about maria and william assured her that maria didn't live very far away and when mrs stowe asked him if maria was going to have more children william gave her a definite no and like obviously this was surprising to mrs stowe because maria was still very young but Mm -hmm. william replied with no believe me she will have no more she has had her number
0: Seems like a weird Mm -hmm. and unnecessarily strange way to answer that question.
1: Agreed. And when Mrs. Stowe asked if Maria was far from them, he answered, and I quote, No, she is not far from us. I can go to her whenever I like, and I know that when I am not with her, nobody else is.
0: Yeah, see, that's just a real creepy way to answer those questions. For real. It's like, ha ha, I'm answering this, and like, because it's funny to me, because I know what I'm talking Mm -hmm. about, and you don't. Yeah.
1: After Maria had been gone a year, a literal year, Mm -hmm. her stepmom was bothered that she hadn't heard directly from her once. Like, she had only gotten updates through William. Even though it was unusual for their socioeconomic status, Maria didn't know how to read and write. So, like, it was strange that they didn't get any letters directly from Maria. Okay. Um, But William always had excuses. He said that she had some terrible growth on her hand that kept her from writing, or he vowed that he would hold that darn post office accountable for losing a letter that he definitely knew for sure possibly Maria had written them once. That
0: darn postmaster general.
1: (laughs) As time went on, people began admitting things. Maria's younger brother said that the day William and Maria supposedly went off to get married, he saw William leave the barn alone with a pickaxe over his shoulder casual and william assured the martins that the boy must be mistaken like it must have just been a neighbor doing their chores like the little lad does not know what he says Uh, i
0: don't know it sounds like a pretty specific description Mm -hmm.
1: later mrs stowe the woman who lives closest to the red barn Mm -hmm. mentioned how william had borrowed a shovel from her on that same day that the couple supposedly fled to a few towns over to get married
0: why would you borrow the shovel
1: why i don't know either like, just steal it or something like don't yeah, borrow right. it and give it back That's,
0: take your own darn shovel i know there's no way he didn't have a shovel for real like,
1: he's a farmer's son Yeah, you know, it's
0: like the 18 whatever's like 1820s. people gotta have shovels
1: <laughs> they'd be shoveling yeah Um, The kicker for me through all this time was that Maria's stepmother, Anne, had been having horrific dreams. Like, she dreamt often about the red barn, and as time went on, her dreams intensified until she was actually dreaming of Maria being murdered and buried in the red barn. Wow. And so she finally told her husband about the dreams, and she asked him if he would go and check on the barn. And he was like, um okay, wow, why haven't you told me this before? And she just said that she didn't want him to think that she was superstitious, which I think translates into like, hello, it's the 1800s. And if I'm right, I might be a witch done. No, thanks. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely not. So Thomas Martin, Maria's father and husband, heads to the barn with his mole spud. Yes, his mole spud.
0: What is a, what is a spud? Mm -hmm.
1: A mole spud is like a... Pointy sharp shovel thing that kills the moles. You just plunge it into the ground and kill moles so with it. So are
0: spuds normally like a sharp shovel and this is just a mole spud I don't because know. it's four moles? I don't know. Okay, but he took his mole spud, he took it to the barn. Is that where we're at?
1: Yes. He went out with his mole spud and began poking around until he came upon a place where the ground was softer than everywhere else inside the barn. Okay. And so, of course, when he cleared away the dirt, he found his daughter's remains. Along with the green scarf, the earrings, and the decorative combs that had been in her hair that day, that she'd left their home. Now, the authorities at the time were not used to this. Like, police officer had just become a job. They were not trained in any way, so this was not something they dealt with often. So when Thomas Martin called the authorities, they just kind of looked around and didn't know what to do, and they were just like, "Seems secure." Uh, yeah, I do
0: things, you know, they. Probably kicked some stuff and like...
1: Like one of those dads who checks the sturdiness of mm -hmm. the banister of their back porch. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Gives it a light kick. Yeah, yeah.
1: absolutely. They did have a surgeon inspect the body while it lay in a shallow grave. And then they took her body to a local pub for closer examination. Cheers.
0: Sure, to a pub.
1: They found signs of a gunshot wound to the face and other wounds consistent with stabbing, choking, or dragging.
0: Sounds like a lot.
1: Pretty much immediately, they were on the hunt for William Quarter. Right. Clearly. Police found Quarter in London in the family home of his new wife. Yeah. His new wife, who he had found by placing an ad in the Times. Wow. Detailing the loss of, and I quote, the chief of his family by the hand of providence, basically crying like, I just lost my wife because it was just her time. It was just bad luck. Like, mm-hmm. why does God have it out for us?
0: Gross.
1: Yeah, garbage. Garbage person. Anyway, the officers who found Quarter asked him three times if he knew a girl named Maria Martin. And each time he was like, no, I know no such person. Like, I have no idea what you're talking about. It's
0: just denying that entirely that he, he ever knew her. Never knew
1: her at all. So obviously they arrested him the second the news broke the small town of pole said was bursting with people coming to see the trial so there were newspaper reporters from all the surrounding towns and even from london and there were there were impromptu plays put on in the town square like depicting the crime and all the gruesome details I don't know how they even had all the gruesome details. I feel like they were probably just making it up.
0: I don't know, but I have a feeling we would have been in that group of people. Oh, 100%. Putting on these impromptu well, plays. Well, I was
1: going to tell you, as a side note, this uh, story is actually a musical now in England. Like, it's not Interesting. in... I don't. I haven't found it in the United States yet, but it's called The Ballad of Maria Martin. Okay. Hmm. Um, so I'll link the site in the show notes because I thought it was super cool, and if anybody in London gets to go see it, that's sweet. Um, there was also a folk legend type song written and sung about william quarter and i'm gonna link two youtube videos of people singing like short snippets of it because it's like hauntingly beautiful it's like kind of spooky um they don't sing the whole version they just like pick pieces out to sing but uh, i did find the whole version like written out so i will add that and people can read it but cool it's hauntingly beautiful The trial began on August 7th in 1828 and so many people had flooded into town that they had to change the rules of the courthouse. So previously women were not permitted to watch the trial within the courthouse but once women were pushing themselves against the windows so hard it was breaking glass or like climbing on the roof in such high quantity that they were afraid for the structure of the building
0: my lord they
1: had to you know lift that rule and be chill about women in the courthouse which just goes to show you that women in true crime has always been
0: Oh bala that's a good point been <laughs>
1: The prosecution's case was super incriminating for William, and his defense was not very supportive of William. Like, William claimed that he had not been treated fairly by the press, which was probably true, to be honest. But he claimed that Maria had shot herself in the aftermath of an argument in the barn, which is actually impossible because she didn't also stab, choke, and or drag herself. yeah. After deliberating for only 25 minutes, the jury came back with the verdict of guilty and the judge sentenced him to hang in two days' time. So many people came to see William tried and hanged that they couldn't use the normal gallows at the hanging tree because they would have had to get William through the crowd and they literally could not. So instead, they broke an actual hole in the side of the jailhouse and built, like, a platform and gallows right there so that way he could just, like, walk out of his cell, step up onto something, and be in front of the crowd.
0: Public hangings are weird, man.
1: He literally stepped up there and got hanged immediately because they were afraid that people would try to, I don't know, like, grab for him or, mm. like, I guess, like, at the time, family members of people being hanged would sometimes try to, like, save the lives of their loved one or something and, like, disrupt the proceedings. Sure. Not that they thought anybody was going to try to save William Quarter because they didn't, but maybe they thought like they would try to take justice into their own hands or something like that. But once he was dead and his body was being hauled away, the crowd started pulling apart that stage, that makeshift gallows that they'd made, trying to get pieces of the hanging noose, which was, I guess, like a typical souvenir of the time, which can you imagine being the person that owns like a collection of nooses? So weird. Nooses? Nooses. Nooses. Because he was a convicted murderer, William didn't get a proper Christian burial. In England at the time, murderers' bodies were donated to science, which is sad solely for the fact that murder and donating your body became so intertwined that nobody would volunteer to donate their body to science. So, instead of being buried, William was first cut open down the center of his chest with his skin and muscles peeled back while the entire town paraded by him to gawk at the insides of a murderer. This was a common practice to humiliate the murderer after death so that others might think twice before, you know, murdering their baby mama.
0: So weird, dude.
1: After the crowd was satisfied, medical professionals took over the body, creating plaster casts of his head and collecting remaining clothes off of his body. The next day, medical students and professionals dissected William. A Dr. Creed made a wet specimen out of William's heart and began preparing his skeleton for eventual display in the hospital.
0: What is a wet specimen?
1: Do you remember when I made you in the last episode, tell me what part of um, my body you yeah. would keep and you said my eyes? That would be a wet specimen. They would have to be in a jar of liquid.
0: Okay, for the record, I said I like your eyes, but I would not want to keep them in a jar. I refuse to But if I the made question. you,
1: you would pick my How house. would you make
0: me? You would be dead.
1: Oh, I can haunt you. <laughs> if haunting is real, I am going to haunt you forever until you die
0: too why
1: not in a mean way
0: just to be around yeah (laughs) okay i guess that's all right
1: so dr creed made a wet specimen out of william's heart began preparing his skeleton for eventual display in the hospital and this may also have been the time that they took large portions of william's skin and bound a book encasing the story of his trial with his own skin
0: Man, people in the 1820s were strange.
1: At the same time, the red barn itself was dismembered and people swarmed to get any piece of that that they could. Pieces of crime history are now called murderabilia, but back then these people used to be called relic hunters. They would make items out of this history. So, for example, there are these things called snuff shoes. They're for storing tobacco and people would make them out of pieces of that red barn. So your tobacco is being held in, like, a murder crime scene box. The end of what happens to different pieces of William is super interesting in Megan Rosenbloom's book. Um, she talks about how one museum that housed his skeleton actually gave in to a request from a descendant to have the skeleton returned to the family. So they had it cremated and, like, gave her the ashes. But Megan talks about another museum who has, like, the plasters of his head and his scalp and ears and the book that's allegedly bound in his skin and some other relics from the case. But this museum actually denied the request of the same descendant, claiming that she was only a descendant by marriage. So, like, no, she had no... Hmm. No claim to William's remains. So this leads her into a discussion of how museums select their own rules and procedures and moral codes and what that looks like as history moves forward. And it's really interesting. Again, I encourage everybody to read this book. If I could, I would just buy a million copies of this book and hand them out (laughs) on the street for real. But that is the story of the Red Barn murder and how William Corder's skin was used to bind a book. Allegedly. Allegedly. So my first thought is I truly believe that the authorities were never coming for Maria. I think that William made that entire thing up to get her to leave town Uh, or like show that she was leaving town because when he was like, they're coming for Maria, they're coming to arrest Maria. Like, bro, they'd be coming to arrest you too. And you don't seem to be very self, you don't seem to be worried about self-preservation at all. So that's strange.
0: That's a good point. It's not something I thought of, but yeah, likely true.
1: I also was really bothered, and I know we already talked about this a little bit, about the conversation he had with Mrs. Stowe, the one where he was like, no, she's not far from us and I can go to her whenever I like. And I know that when I'm not with her, nobody else is. I feel like he thought Maria was cheating on him or something.
0: Yeah, he had a like, like a a weird, weird possessiveness had something. Yeah. kind of thing. There was something or, going yeah. on. Or like jealousy. Yeah.
1: I also think, and this might just be my morbid brain, and so I'm sorry for this, but when he was like, I can go to her whenever I like, I was like like that sounds like you're an acrophiliac
0: yeah a little bit that sounds
1: gross i
0: hope i didn't want to go down that way but yeah i thought of that as well
1: yeah don't love that i'm also mad that like maria was gone for a whole year like i'm trying not to be mad but like was it normal for your family members to just go away for a year That's so bizarre to me.
0: Yeah, I mean, I feel like communication just wasn't super easy to do. So it's less common today, certainly, than it would have been then. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I feel like that kind of thing potentially would have been more likely to an extent. Also, I was just thinking during that conversation with that he did have with Mrs. Doe, there was a weird pride in like having control over her mm-hmm. that I feel like he was like giving yeah. off there too. So
1: I agree. And then I wanted to ask you, don't we have a rule now in law where jury members have to deliberate for a certain amount of time? Cause like they only deliberated for 25 minutes in this case. And I feel like that wouldn't be allowed today.
0: I don't think there's a minimum amount of time. I know it has to be a unanimous decision. I feel like potentially jury selection wasn't as much of a thing back then. Mm -hmm. So I feel like a lot of the jurors probably came in with like strong biases already. They read the press and yeah.
1: Yeah. I have a few questions for you. Does the fact that William murdered someone give you justification in your mind for binding a book in his skin?
0: Justification?
1: Like, does it bother you less or if it bothers you at all?
0: I feel like justification is a strange word for me to think about it as because I don't see the value in doing it, so I don't feel like I need or anyone should need a reason to want to do something that I don't understand the purpose of in the first place but no I don't think it makes it any less odd and sort of barbaric to me to desecrate human remains in that way
1: yeah no see I was like 100% goodbye William see you never bud bound your skin and book good
0: but why would you want that
1: Why would I want... I mean, I don't want to own the book, but, like, it does not bother me at all that his skin was taken to bind in a book. Like, at that point, like, if you murder somebody in cold blood like that, you are an animal. And we bind books in animal skin all the time. That's what leather is. So if you're going to act like an animal yeah i don't care if somebody treats you like an animal bind your story in your own skin like that's fine with me
0: yeah i feel like i don't know it doesn't have anything to do with my like respect for him as an individual necessarily it's just like it's sort of irrespective of who he was as a person it's just like but he
1: was garbage
0: i know but just desecration of human remains in general is just like it's unnecessary Mm -hmm. it's weird like let's just not do it
1: interesting okay Don't get me wrong, I'm not encouraging everybody to go out and desecrate human remains. I'm just saying that the fact that they did that to him, like, I do not care. Cool.
0: Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. It doesn't make as much of a difference in my brain. Rest
1: in distress, William Quarter. R.I.D. Why do you think humans are so into murderabilia or having pieces, physical pieces of a story or a legend?
0: Yeah, I mean, it just comes down to... fascination. I feel like it's a better thing if you're gonna be into murderabilia than like the people who become obsessed with the murderers themselves. Sure. But I think both of those things come from the same place of being fascinated because it's Potentially seems like such a foreign thing to them. Like it's so far away from anything that they would consider doing. So the idea that this person was fully capable and comfortable doing this horrific thing means that they are different and strange in some way.
1: I feel like the line between repulsion and fascination is very thin.
0: Yeah, that's true.
1: And so I think that has a large play in this. But I also think that humans extremely love having control and if you have a piece of the narrative, maybe you feel like you're more in control. Humans also really like to see justice. So you want your brain to be able to like tie a nice little bow on it. Hmm. So I feel like owning a piece of what happened and feeling as though it is complete, like might be comforting to interesting. those. Interesting.
0: Yeah, I had never thought of it like that, but that's an interesting point
1: if you were going to give your skin to bind a book of your choosing upon your death which book would you choose
0: man that's a tough one (laughs) it would it would be some kind of like self-help genre of book you don't for sure
1: you don't think it'd be some kind of like poetry
0: so i thought of poetry i thought of some kind of like classic hero novel type thing because that's how I like to romanticize my life as if I was some kind of hero type person. But I think at the end of the day, from like a modern perspective, it would be some kind of self-help that people would be able to apply to their lives and make it better.
1: And that's what makes you a hero, just saying. So you know. <laughs> Thanks.
0: What's your answer to that question?
1: Um, Dark Archives by Megan Rosenberg.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that i mean that should be a thing if honestly there's, if, if there's ever gonna be another book bound in mm-hmm. human skin it should be that one.
1: honestly if she was like i'm looking for a volunteer i would literally be like i volunteer as tribute the second i die take it absolutely megan take my skin
0: i don't know if you could do that even if both parties like agreed to it i don't know if you could so
1: i know that you can you can donate your body to science right. but they're actually like extremely picky about that right. um and then you can donate your body to, like, a body farm so they can study the way that humans decompose in different atmospheres with different things happening around them. And I know that you can obviously be buried or cremated. And then I know there are different options where you could basically be buried coffinless below, like, a newly planted tree. Mm-hmm. And then you would, you know, be part of the soil that makes that tree grow. Yeah,
0: you'd be fertilizer. Yeah. For
1: it. There's a couple of different things like that. I don't know. I think you could find ways to justify it legally i could be wrong but yeah maybe i think you could but yeah i would choose dark archives by megan Rosenbloom, but if i didn't do that it would probably be some like beautifully printed copy of twilight or
0: something (laughs) no i was so on board i was like that's so cool and then you said twilight and i was like "No." no
1: i don't know just like a like a beautifully printed version of like one of my favorite books
0: that's fair. And to to some extent, I think Twilight is a beautiful book series. It's just it so, it's so, it's hyped. gotten so caught up in like the teenage. But you know. that
1: was the first book series that I like devoured and mm-hmm. I was obsessed with and loved endlessly. So I give that book series a lot of credit for my love of books now. Mm hmm. Don't get me wrong, I've always loved books, but that series has led me to read so many more series like it.
0: Yeah, I get that. I feel like Hunger Games was that book series mm-hmm. for me.
1: That would be a creepy book to find in human skin.
0: Yeah, what? Like, you know, whoever did that was like fully on board for the Hunger Games Oh, 100% idea.
1: for sure. Would you consider yourself a death positive person? What do you want to happen to you when you die?
0: Can you define death positive?
1: People who are death positive are, and there are people that can probably correct me because I don't know that I'm necessarily death positive, but they're the people that can actually plan what's going to happen to them after they die. And they acknowledge the usefulness of donating your body to science and like the usefulness of all that you can be even after you're dead. Death does not have to be this scary, sorrowful thing. It can be something beautiful or something that you're contributing to the world or something like one last final gift rather than Hmm. your final breaths and like your life being taken away it's like on to the next thing like whatever that is in your religion or your life or your Mm. thought process
0: I'm very optimistic in terms of what I believe Mm -hmm. happens to us after we die I don't have a lot of anxiety about death for myself in terms of like what happens to my body I don't have a problem thinking about that or planning it but I don't have a lot of strong opinions in terms of what happens to my body after I die. Like I just like see it as like I'm gone from it. I'm passed on to some other place. I don't particularly care that much what happens to my body. When I think about it in theory, I don't particularly like the idea of, you know, being stuck in a box and put in the ground. I like more the idea of being cremated and then my ashes being spread into the wind to like, you know, go off places and stuff. Mm -hmm.
1: I've always thought that if aliens ever came to Earth, I feel like one of the first things they would say to us is literally like, why do you put your dead people in all this land? You have an oversized population, but you're wasting land to bury bodies that they don't, those don't work no more. Why you have them? (laughs) Hmm. I feel like that would be my number one thing as an alien. I would come down and be like, what? this is so wasteful, you guys. Interesting. I don't know that I'm death positive. I don't think I'm death negative.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I'm not afraid to die, but like I also don't want to. Right. Like, you know, I don't mind thinking about what would happen to me after I die. It's not pleasant, but like it's not like I can't talk about it. hmm I think I'm with you along the lines that I don't want to be buried and put in a box solely because I I genuinely think it's a waste of time and money and land and resources. Yeah. I would prefer to either be cremated and if it makes my family feel better to scatter me in the wind, that's Mm -hmm. great. But um, when my aunt passed away, my grandmother had like a necklace made for everyone Mm -hmm. or like a a bracelet or anything where like we have like a little piece of her Mm
0: -hmm. in
1: like a charm. Um, And I've always really treasured that. So like if my family wanted that to be done with my Marines, I'm not going to protest, but I would really love the whole feeding a tree thing.
0: Yeah. That's a cool idea.
1: Because then you still have a place to visit. Like I'm not, not a grave site, but like a beautiful tree and like I'm in that tree.
0: Yeah. And anything, I mean, you know, I care about the environment a lot and stuff. Mm -hmm. And so yeah, anything that's like good for the environment that can be done with my body. I think that's cool. The necklace thing I think is interesting. If my relatives, like, if that's something they wanted to do, I wouldn't care. But it's not something I would necessarily choose. If I was choosing, I think I would choose for my remains to be scattered and not even, like, kept in some kind of box. That' Not what I would choose, but again, you know. Why are you looking at <laughs> me like that?
1: If you died before me and I had your ashes turned into, like, a beautiful jewel, would you be mad? No? No?
0: Like I said, I don't... They you know. have that
1: service, and I think that that's super cool. And, like, mm-hmm. this is terrifying, and I don't even want to think about it. But, like, when our cats die, mm-hmm. like, I would love to do that. Where, like, I could have a flu free necklace for the rest of my life. <laughs> like, that's something that I desperately want. Yeah. Um, I don't know that I would feel the same about doing it, like, with you, for mm-hmm. example. Especially knowing that you would just rather be scattered to the wind. Like, mm-hmm. but I think it'd be really cool to like for you specifically, mm-hmm. to go to each continent and like release a handful yeah, on each continent. That would definitely Like, be I think cool. that that would be such a David thing mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah. And see, like talking about this, like that makes me happy. Like mm-hmm. the fact that I could, I could potentially honor you in some way. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, so I guess maybe I am a death positive person. Like this doesn't bother me right now. Cool. Don't die, though, because no. I, I won't last very long. Don't no. do it. I have much to do
0: still. You have much. hmm. You mm-hmm. do. You have a lot to do still.
1: <laughs> well, our cats are going to quite literally break down the door if we do not let them out of the other room. Mm-hmm. If you want to follow us on Instagram, you can do so at LegendLogicPodcast. And if you want to email us, you can do so by emailing legendlogicpodcast@gmail.com at gmail.com. Yay!